Please join me in John chapter 17. We go back with Jesus and his disciples into that upper room, the night of his arrest, the very night before he's crucified. And we've seen him preparing his disciples for his departure. And now for the last couple of weeks, we've been in his prayer for them before they leave the upper room. This is that prayer we sometimes call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And on our way there, I want to ask you this question. Why are we here? Why are we still on the earth? Wouldn't it have been wonderful if it had been the plan of God that at the moment you asked Jesus to save you, he took you immediately to heaven? Man, I like to just imagine that for just a moment. Can you imagine that? You finally are aware of your sinfulness. You're aware that Jesus is the one who can save you from all that sin and give you everlasting life. And so in that moment of prayer, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm undone by my sinfulness. Thank you for Jesus coming to die for me and being raised. I ask him to be my savior. I give him my life. In the next moment, you're in heaven. Wouldn't that have been great if I could vote how it goes? That's about how I would have wanted it to go. But clearly we know that was not the plan of God because here we are. Clearly God has something for us to do because he's left us here. One day we will be with him. But for now, we are here. He has us here on purpose for his purposes. And today from this prayer of Jesus, we're going to see at least two other things that we're going to pick up today. First of all, we're going to see in this prayer that we are a set apart people while we're here. And we're going to see this. Not only are we set apart, but we are a sent people while we're here. So let's hear our Savior pray this. John 17, now picking up in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So the first thing I want us to think on this morning is this. We are a set apart people. Jesus speaks this way in verse 14. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So we are set apart out of this world for him. He expresses this in a couple of different ways here. First of all, with that distinction between being people of the word now where we were once people of the world. We've been set apart out of the world. But also in the way Jesus speaks here in his prayer in verses 15 and 17, where he speaks about us being sanctified, catch it, in the truth. We've been sanctified in the truth. Now, what does that word sanctify mean? It has as its root that same word we have for holy. And so we are to be holy unto the Lord. We can say it this way. We have been consecrated unto the Lord. We're now his. We're no longer a part of the world. We once were a part of the world, but now we are no longer. We belong to Jesus. And notice with me how central God's word is and our being set apart from the world. This is the real dividing line between the people of God and the people of this earth. Now, remember when we talk about the world in a context like this, this is referring to that godless system in the world that is opposed to Christ and opposed to the people of Christ. 
Jesus has already told us in John 15 that the world will hate the followers of his. But here he brings it up even in the prayer. I've given them your word and the world's going to hate them because I'm not of the world and they're not of the world. But see the contrast between the word and the world. Consider with me the opposite values between what we find in the scriptures and what we find in this world system. So for example, you and I who are in Christ, we love Jesus and all the other serious disciples of Jesus, we love them. But in the world, the world hates Jesus and all those who are serious about following Jesus. In the world, we're people who love the truth of God's word, word and we embrace it. But the world hates God's word and teaches contrary to it. We are the people on earth who now live for the glory of God alone. At least when we're in our right minds, we're living for the glory of God alone. But the world promotes self-glory and everything that God calls evil. And so Jesus clearly points to our relationship to him and our relationship to his word is what sets us apart. Again, verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So let's pause here. Moments of self-examination for ourselves out of what we're seeing here. Notice how Jesus describes it, that I gave my disciples your word and God has given us the word. Have you considered lately what an amazing gift that is that God has given you his word? We even have the completed Bible. We have the entirety of God's word. Have you considered what an amazing gift that is from God? Now, you and I receive all kinds of gifts in our lives. Some of them are small gifts and some of them are big gifts. And I bet some gifts you've received through the years, you think, I don't really know what to do with this one. I didn't really ask for this. And so it might go in a drawer. There might be some things that you get and it goes into a closet. Some things you might get, think, I don't have any use for this, but I bet I can give it to somebody else. And you'll re-gift it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a re-gift if you're giving it to somebody who might enjoy it. But there's some things you go, I, I don't think I'll ever use this. And it's, it might go immediately to a thrift store. So somebody else gets it. But then there are some gifts you might gift, get and you go, you know what? This one now is going to be a part of every day of my life. So let's just imagine with me if somebody were to give you a new smartphone. And, and that'd be like, whoa, that, that's not going in a drawer. This, this is good. This is the latest, greatest. This is the update. This is the one. So now this is a big part of your life. But I had that in my notes, but then I started thinking, you know, actually, when God gives us the word, it's even better than that. It's really more like food for us, that I get to be nourished and fed on the scriptures. This is what he's given me. This is my survival in the very word of God. So this is not something I'm going to neglect. It's not going to have a small role in my life. So just consider with me, what part is the word of God playing in your life? Jesus said he's given his disciples the word. Let me ask you this. What are you doing with that gift of God's word in your life. Too many Christians neglect it. They act like it's something, well, this is going to drawer. This is gonna stay on the shelf. Listen, that's the wrong move to make. This is something you should treasure in your life. And this is so important in your life. I've often told you that, that I encourage you, I plead with you that, that you must have the word of God in your life daily. So schedule it and guard it. We're all busy people. We're all distracted people. It's really not just you. And so because this is so important and we're so prone to distraction, you, you need to schedule it. This is when I'm going to meet with God each day. And your days get crazy like my days. And so you might have to change the schedule, but it can't go off the calendar. It has to be there. I've got to schedule it. I've got to guard it because I need the word of God. 
So I'm no longer in the world. I've been sanctified with the truth that needs to be a part of my life. So let me ask you this. Are you allowing his truth to sanctify you? Do you remember Psalm 1? Psalm 1, listen to this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all he does, he prospers. So the word of God is to be a big part of our lives. We're to be sanctified by this. Here's a question. Are you allowing his truth to sanctify you? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you becoming more and more different from the world that you once lived in? Or are you in disagreement with God's word? Maybe you hear Jesus say, your word is truth, but you disagree with Jesus. And you say, no, that's not truth to me. I disagree with it. You might be so bold as some people do. Well, I, I agree with some of it and I don't agree with some of it. Some of it's truth to me. Some of it's not truth to me. And you see what that does? That puts you in the lordship seat. You get to pick and choose and decide what parts of the scripture you're going to obey. And that's not how Jesus affirmed the scripture here. God's word is truth. Are you being led and shaped by the world instead of by the word? Today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, would you affirm together with Jesus to the Father, your word is truth. And if God's word is truth, that means everything else you've been holding to that's contrary to the word of God, what is that? Then that is a lie. That's a falsehood. That's a deception. So the word of God is true. Everything else contrary is false. You want to turn away from that. You and I are no longer what we once were in the world. We now belong to Jesus and we've taken up his word and his word is authoritative for us. We humbly embrace the scriptures and its wisdom and we follow. But Jesus says there is a cost though. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because I'm not of the world and they're no longer of the world. Well, notice here, Jesus uses that phrase, not of the world. He uses it four times here, here in this, this portion of his prayer. And he says it of himself, I'm not of the world. And those who follow me, my disciples, they are not of the world. He does not intend for his disciples to be worldly. They are to follow him humbly. They are to be noticeably distinct from the world around them. But sadly and shockingly, we live in a time where there are liberal clergy, liberal pastors in the land who actually present a remade Jesus, one that's much more worldly, a Jesus who's more in sync with the culture than the Jesus that the scriptures truthfully tells us about. You come across people teaching online or in churches, probably even in our city, they present a Jesus who doesn't really approve of the old covenant. Whereas when you read the scriptures, you see that Jesus affirmed the old covenant. He says, it's all about me. All these prophecies were pointing to me. He's the fulfillment of the law that we find in the old covenant. Jesus was not anti the word of God. He's the fulfillment of it. You'll meet some clergy who will be what they might call red-letter Christians. It doesn't sound too bad until you realize what they're saying. They're saying, I only believe those, those words that are attributed to Jesus in the Gospels, but I do not believe the rest of the New Testament. So they pit Jesus versus Peter, Jesus versus Paul especially. And so they act as if there's a Jesus who's opposed to the word. And that's not at all how Jesus presents himself. It's not, it's not what he commends to you. He says, you are sanctified in the truth. They present some, a Jesus who's unrecognizable from the Jesus who is in the scriptures. So here's another example of that. This week, the Church of England 
voted to bless same-sex unions. That almost sounds like old news because denominations right here in the U.S. have done far more than that than just this week. But the Church of England just took that step. And here's the question I have. How did they get that? Did that come from the word? No, that came from the world. A whole church, a whole denomination saying we, we, will, we will set ourselves free from the scriptures that clearly teach that God, our good God, gave us marriage and a marriage between a man and a woman. That's always been the design. And we understand the world is confused, but for the churches to be confused, how did that happen? They're not following the word, they're following the world. But let's bring it closer to home. What about the trend, more than a trend, what about the norm now of people living together before their marriage? What about that? Where does that, where does that come from? No, we understand unbelievers do that. So an unbeliever, they'll fall in love and the next logical step for them is to let's move in together. Let's go ahead and engage in a sexual relationship even before we get married, even if we ever get married. That's how an unbeliever thinks. We understand that. But what do we make of those who call themselves Christians and they make that move? All right, we're in love now. Let's go ahead and move in together. Let's go ahead and begin that sexual relationship now and, and we'll set our wedding date sometime in the future. Let me just ask the question, where did that come from? Did that come from the word of God? Certainly not. The word of God still calls that sexual immorality. So that is a person calling themselves Christians saying, no, I'm going to let the world tell me how to live this life. And that's not how we're to be. We're not of the world any longer. We now belong to Jesus. We've been sanctified in the truth. We're not of the world. Listen, we're repeatedly warned as believers not to become worldly again. 1 John 2.15. These are strong words. 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. James was very strong here. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's not who we are any longer now that we are in Christ. We're no longer enemies of the Lord like we once were. That's who we were. We've been saved out of that. Now we're the friends of God as we follow him. 1 Peter 1.15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Jesus says, you're not of the world, not anymore. You've been sanctified in the truth, and God's word is indeed the truth. So we were saved through this gospel, through the word of God we heard. The spirit of God drew us, and we came to Christ. And our move as disciples is to continue in that word until Jesus calls us home. It's a defining mark for us disciples in the world, and there's no other type of Christian that exists. Notice how much in this upper room discourse, in this farewell message of Jesus, how often he brings up the word truth. Remember, it was in John 14, 6, Jesus spoke of himself as truth. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus calls himself the truth. Or in John 15, Jesus promises them the helper who's going to come, the Holy Spirit. But what does he call the Holy Spirit in John 15? He calls him the spirit of truth. And here Jesus reminds us that God's word is truth. And so his followers will follow after his word and not the world and its philosophies. Again, it is the great 
dividing line. We're eager to hear and to follow the word of God. So again, application. Who or what is shaping your mind? Who is shaping your affections? Who's shaping your aims? What is it that's shaping your goals and the dreams you have for your life? Who's shaping your passions? Who's shaping your values? Who is shaping your morality? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Oh, but don't you feel it? I feel it. Don't you feel the pressure of the world to conform to what they're saying against what God has said in the word? I feel it. In fact, it's more than a pressure to conform. It's a demand that we conform. I feel it. So look, in this very message, I'm aware of two statements I made that you just don't say. And you know it, you knew it when I said them. When I talked about same-sex unions, you, you felt uncomfortable, as did I. And when I talked about living together before marriage, I felt uncomfortable, and I bet you did too. Because we all know, you can't say that. And we know this message is online. And this is the one where somebody might take it and go, hey, we're going to make something of that. Expecting us to be conformed to what the world's message is. And we're saying, no, no. We're going to speak the truth in love. This is the most loving thing we can do to point people to an unchanging God and an unchanging gospel who God will forgive us from our sins and give us a new life. But we dare not move away from this. Listen, we just understand the philosophies of the world are very different than what God has given us in the truth of his word. And we, we need to be comfortable with that while we're uncomfortable. So for instance, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and following. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. Do you hear the incompatibility between God's wisdom and the so-called wisdom of the world? We're called to God's truth. We're called to his wisdom in the word. So let's nail that down together today. Right there where you sit, can you say in the privacy of your heart this and it be true of you? Can you say this to God in your heart? I, I'm not of this world. I'm, I'm no longer of this world. I don't belong to the world. Could you say this in truth in your heart? I belong to Christ. Could you say this in truth? God's word is truth. Can you make that affirmation? And if that's real for you, that's going to show up in your life. So listen, be, be alert to how the enemy is seeking to shape your thinking. And this shows up in practical ways. Be discerning about what messages you're allowing into your mind. Be careful with how you use social media and how much you use it and all the messages contrary to scripture that you're allowing to maybe influence your thinking. Be careful with your music. Be careful with your movies. Be careful with what your news outlets and even whatever news outlet. Be careful with the messages you're getting. It's not all biblical. Be careful with the advertisers. Let God's word be the foundation of your life. Let God's word be the authority of your life because God's word is truth. You have been sanctified in that truth. And make sure that it's more than a slogan. As we've already said, make that a regular part of your life. You eat every day. You need to consume the word of God every day. I've been reading a book lately by Paul Tripp. And I like how he likened the scriptures to an accurate mirror versus a funhouse mirror. 
So he made the point that when you meet with God and you open up the scriptures and you read it, you're now getting an accurate picture of yourself. And really, it's the only place in life you're going to see the real you and God, what he's really like and what God wants for you. So going to the word of God like an accurate mirror. But I loved his analogy. He said, but out in the culture, you're going to pick up a funhouse mirror view of truth. Now, I don't remember the last time I've seen a funhouse mirror. I remember it from my child. It's been decades since I've seen one. I don't even know where you go now to see a funhouse mirror. I suppose the state fair. I haven't been there in a long time. Somebody after the service, Jim, here's where you can go to see your distorted image. But the last time you saw one, at least you know about them, the idea is you, you bring your real self to the mirror, but it tells you something not true. It tells you your head is huge or you back up and while well, your head just shrank and your midsection got large and your nose gets big. And it's like, well, that's, that's not an accurate picture of things. And I think a great illustration of the messages we're picking up in the world are just not true. But we have the word of God. God's word is truth. Listen, let's embrace it. But as Jesus said, count the cost. Count the cost. I've given you my word, but people will hate you. But we're not going to hate back. We keep speaking the truth in love. It's just good to know that there's maybe hatred, misunderstanding coming in. But well, Jesus in this prayer for his disciples also mentions the reality of Satan. It's verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus did not pray to the father to immediately evacuate us from the world. That day is coming soon. Maybe that would be today. That would be wonderful. But he does pray, not evacuation, but that they would be protected from Satan's schemes. So two thoughts here. The first thought is here is that, that God meant for you to be here today. He means for you to be on the earth right now. And maybe that's a word somebody needs to hear today. As crazy as the world is, as disappointed as you are with maybe things happening in your life and in the culture at large, you think, I don't, I don't want to be here now. Why was I born in this generation? God wants you here. He could have already taken you to heaven. You have loved ones who are already in heaven. He could have already taken you. But if he's, if he's left you here, he knows exactly where you are and you're meant to be here for his purposes. Here's another word here from what Jesus prays is that we have everything we need to overcome the evil one, no matter what he's doing in the world. Remember, we, we saw it last time, how secure we are in Jesus. Here's how secure you are. Remember, you're in Christ today, if you know him. You're in Christ because the Father gave you to the Son. That's very secure. Jesus prayed it last time. We saw it where we are kept and we're guarded by Jesus himself. Remember in John 10, 28, that no one can snatch us out of his hand. You and I are secure. No matter what the evil one does, we are secure. And when we face Satan's schemes, we've got... We have everything we need to overcome him. Here's some examples. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's so important to know. Satan will tell you, no, you have to follow me. No, you can't overcome this temptation. And you say, wait a minute, but the word of God, which is truth, tells me if I'm submitted to God, I can resist the devil, and he will flee from me. Or how about 1 Corinthians 10, 13? This one's worthy of memorizing as well. When you face temptation, this can seem impossible. Maybe an area where you failed in your life over and over again. But the word of God says there's always a way of escape. Listen to the scriptures. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We're just talking about how we're engaging the evil one. Jesus prays it will be kept from him. Listen, what else we have? In Ephesians 6, we're told about the full armor of God. 
In this battle with Satan's lies, we have the truth, a belt of truth. We have the sword of the Spirit. Again, the Word of God. So vital in this battle against the evil one, in this deceived world, that we know the truth. In fact, consider who Satan is. In John 8, 44, Jesus, as he's interacting with his opponents, he brings up Satan and he describes him perfectly. John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell the truth. And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you're not of God. But in our spiritual battles with the evil one, the word of God is vital. The word of God will keep you from falling for the deceptions of the evil one. The word of God is the greatest weapon we have against the deceptions all around us. So remember, every temptation you face is a lie, isn't it? In, in your life, when you feel a temptation, there's promise to you that you're going to be fulfilled if you disobey what God says and go another way. And we've all learned from the word and from experience that never works out well. When I disobey what God says and I believe Satan's temptation, I've been lied to and we all come up empty-handed, hurt, and dysfunctional, we want to hang on to the truth of God's word. So listen, we've just seen in our text, we've been set apart. We also see that he sends us out. So why has he left me here? Why did he not pray that we'd all be out of here by now? We're set apart for him, holy unto him, and he has sent us out. That's verse 18. As you sent me into the world, Jesus prayed, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus is going to say the same thing to the disciples after his resurrection in John 20, 21. He's going to say, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. So why are we on the earth right now? To be set apart unto the Lord, to be holy unto the Lord. But at the same time, we're to be sent out into this world with the gospel. And this is important. Both of those truths are important for us to keep us from a misunderstanding and a misapplication of being set apart. Set apart, but still engaged in this world. Just as Jesus was sent by the Father to the earth to rescue us, we take that rescue mission and we carry it, our part of that in proclaiming this gospel in the world. So understanding this mission is so helpful to us, it'll keep us from the error of seclusion. And so in this world, there are so many things we don't like. You and I need to avoid several things. We need to avoid, first of all, bitterness and anger at the world around us. If all we heard from Jesus was you just be set apart and sanctified from them, we could sit back and just, I just, they hate me, I hate them too. And we could have that attitude. But listen, we're never given that in the scriptures. We're not allowed to get bitter at the world around us. We're not allowed to stay in a spirit of anger at the world around us. How about this? We're to avoid fear of the world around us. So we don't like reading that the world will hate us because of Jesus, and yet he speaks so much about it here. Because I think people who hate you try to harm you, and that could make us fearful, but Jesus doesn't tell his disciples to be fearful. He said, I've set you apart in the truth, and I'm sending you out into this world with that truth, with the gospel. Here's another thing to avoid. Avoid the temptation of withdrawal and isolation from the world. That's not what he means by set apart. But you know, Christians in centuries past have tried that before. You've heard of hermits, you've heard of monks who will pull themselves 
aside to be away from others. In fact, one of the more humorous examples of this is a guy named Simeon the Stylite. Centuries ago, a Syrian Christian, he felt like what he should do to be distinct from the world, he decided to live on, a, on the top of a pole with a platform constructed there. Listen how long he did it. 37 years. 37 days would be too long. But 37 years up on the top of a pole on the platform, somehow being separate from the world. I think people had to hoist food and water up to him. But that's not a biblical calling. Aren't you glad? <laughs> that's not what he tells you to do to be separate. Listen, we are in this world, not of the world, and we're sent out into this world. We were rescued from it, but now we go back in with this message of rescue that we've received. Another way of saying this, God is not calling us to be evangelical Amish. So we all kind of like the Amish. I think they have pretty good jelly, and they do good woodworking. Got some things we admire about the Amish. And we could almost say, man, they've nailed the being set apart thing. I mean, they don't even use our stuff. And there's some good parts of that. I mean, I'm happy for them. They don't have social media and all the dangers of all that. So that's, that's the set apart. But I, I'm not aware of the sending out. I'm not aware of the mission. I'm not aware of the evangelism. And I'm not aware of the missions. And so it's not a one-sided thing, set apart, be obscure, be isolated, but no, we are to re-engage in the world. Well, here's another way we might be tempted to do this in our own time, it may not even be for spiritual reasons, but you and I have the ability to make our homes so comfortable now that we can make it so nice that we don't even want to leave. And so we can make it really cozy. You can do like me, you can drive home and even close the garage door behind you. You, you, might not, you don't even have to see neighbors unless you're intentional to do so, but you know, Christians of centuries past didn't have that ability. I was listening to a podcast this week where a Christian historian was talking about the, the spread of the gospel in the Roman Empire. And, and largely, it, part of the spread of the gospel in the cities was because Christians did not want to stay home. In fact, nobody wanted to stay home. Homes were so miserable in the cities. You're packed up near other people. It smells bad. It's dank air. And uh, it's not comfortable. And so you lived most of your day out in the public spaces and only went home when you had to just to get your sleep. And then it's back in the public spaces. And he said, that's part of the explanation. They're, they're radically new, beautiful lives as Christians, visible for everybody to see because they were up against each other. And you and I can have radically changed, beautiful lives full of hope now, but we might be tempted to stay isolated at home and not interact with unbelievers anymore. And they can't have the impact of the gospel. Listen, we're set apart. But at the same time, we are sent right back into this world. We can say it this way. We go out into a world of hatred with the love of Jesus. We go out into a world of deception with the truth of God's word. He's not called us to retreat. He's not called us to evacuate. He's called us to go into it. So let me ask you this. You have been sent. Are you going? Are you going? And let's think about this in several ways before we go. First of all, in your regular life, just as you go about your job and school and things, are you going with the gospel? Do you understand you've been sent by Jesus into this crazy world? And one way to remind yourself of that, there are other ways, but one way is to wear one of these wristbands that we have available in the foyer. By putting one on in the day and you go out about life, you realize I have a mission. Yes, I need to get my groceries. Yes, I need to do my job, but I, I'm here sent by Jesus to share the good news. I've been rescued. I want to be a part of the rescue of others as I share this gospel. But what about specific callings? All of us have been called to that, but is it possible that God has given you a specific calling on top of that? And I'm going to put this out there, and I don't know what the Lord's going to do with this, but, but I, I'll just put it out in obedience. Some of you 
or one of you might be called at some point to run for office, to be salt and light in that way. And we know that's not the hope of America. The gospel is the hope of America. But, but this past week, I was able to spend some time with one of our, some of our Christian legislators down in the state government. A group of pastors went. We got to pray with some of them. And to hear them talk, I was just impressed. Some of them feel very called by God for the sake of righteousness to step into what I think is a very unpleasant calling. To get involved in politics, I would not want to do that. But to hear some of these men and women just talk about, I felt like God wanted me to run and, and I wasn't going to use this just to keep getting reelected. It's for righteousness. Listen, they are there for, to, to save the lives of the unborn. And they understand they're, they're up against well-funded opponents who have no regard for life. And I think how, how wonderful, though, that they're willing to be in the trenches there and to just stand for life, for parents, for parental rights, and for the sake of children. Just beautiful cause. I thought, that, that's wonderful. And so I was thinking today, I don't know if that's for anybody here, but, but what if that one of our children hears just that part of the message today and, and God has had special calling on them. And sometime in the future, they don't even remember who said it, but they'll say, I just heard somebody talk about a calling to serve in that way, to stand for righteousness. And I, I just started my life down that path and served in that way. That's not going to be most of us, but, but how noble. Pray for those who are Christians serving in humble ways like that, even in our state. But how about this one? Is God calling you to be involved in North American church planting. We've seen this up, and up close and personal lately as Adam and Lacey left here. That was a courageous move to leave here, to go nearby to plant another healthy church in town. Is God calling you to do something like that? Or someone like Dale who has gone out to Los Angeles, to the Sherman Oaks neighborhood to plant a church in Los Angeles. Or Jacob Jackson planting right now in Lakeside. Is God calling you to do something like that? Or how about international missions? You and I know we have a big part in that, praying and giving like we do and going ourselves. But, but are you being called to go and serve overseas? And I got to thinking about the four families we have serving overseas right now. More, more specifically, three families and one single lady serving in various places around the world. And I, and I started thinking about the places where they serve. The places where they serve, these are not places that we can talk about publicly. To talk about where they serve publicly could put them in physical danger because of where they are. So I'm just asked the question, is it abnormal for them to serve in places like that? Is, that? is that craziness to live your life as a sent one? To go to places where you don't vacation, but where there's danger there, but for the sake of the gospel. Is that unusual? Or we could ask, wait, wait a minute, but it, or is it unusual that I'm not willing to go do that? If God were to call me to do that, listen, it's not unusual. It's not unusual. This is what Jesus said. You're set apart. You're very different. And I'm sending you back out into the world with this gospel message. This is how Jesus said it in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold... I'm with you always to the end of the age. We have been set apart and unmistakably, we've been sent, we're on a mission. So how would you describe the Christian life to somebody else? What, what metaphor would you use? Certainly some might say, well, I think of the Christian life like going to a concert. I go and I get charged up once a week and that's my Christian life. I hope none of us would say, I think the Christian life is like a walk in the park. It's so easy. We know better than that. But I was thinking this week in light of what Jesus said here about the world hating us and an evil one and yet we're sent back into the world. I think we should look at the Christian life more like a special forces soldier, like a Navy SEAL. 
And so just thinking about that, how sometimes our Navy SEALs are dispatched to rescue people. And I thought, I think, I think we need to see the Christian life more like that. I just started researching about that. And I, I found an article on Navy Times about a Navy SEAL named Edward Byers, who received the Medal of Honor for a daring rescue mission along with his team in a remote part of Afghanistan a number of years ago. Listen to this. The mission was so dangerous that they asked for volunteers who's willing to do it. Because it, it's got to be more dangerous to go extract somebody than just to go in and take out a bunch of people. And so his team, they, they volunteered to go. And they were dropped off about four or five hours from the location where this American doctor was being held hostage. And so they trek in through dangerous terrain to the compound and as we would expect, a firefight ensued. And so they're fighting off people, shooting at them. But the mission is to get this American doctor to safety. And so Edward Byers and his team, they go in and they're taking out people. Gunfire's coming at them. Edward Byers got the Medal of Honor because he found the American doctor and covered him with his own body, with his body arm. That's the mission to get him out. But while covering him, he's also having to shoot at people trying to shoot at him and his brothers, those other Navy SEALs. Got the Medal of Honor. Thankfully, he got the doctor out, got his team out. They did have one casualty on their team, but he was heroic for what he did. And so I think about, is that anything like what Jesus has left us here to do? It is. Listen, we have a mission. Our mission is rescue people. Jesus is the Savior. We're on a mission to let people know about that Savior and call them to repentance and faith in Him. Listen, is it like a Navy SEAL? We have enemies. Jesus talks about the evil one here and a world that hates us. But we are well equipped. We have the Word of God. No bullets, no guns. We're not talking about that. We have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. And we've been assured victory as we go and do what He's called us to do. Listen, this is how we say it as a church. We're called to be rooted in the truth. At the same time, we're called to be reaching in love. May we all take part in that. Would you pray with me? And really, before we pray, would you consider your decision for Christ? I know that some of you today here, some of you watching by live stream, you realize, you know, I am of the world. I've never come to Jesus. I'm still a part of that world system. I'm, I'm in this whole this time of deception in my life, and I want out. Listen, that's the, that's the mercy of God that you see that you need out. And today, would you put your faith in Jesus? Let him rescue you. It's his idea to do so. Jesus came for you, died on a cross for your sins. He was raised from the dead. He says, if you'll believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Would you believe in Jesus today? Come out of the world into the life that Jesus offers to you. Now, let me pray for us. Lord, we do pray that you'll call men and women to yourself saving them like you saved us. But Lord, thank you for this reminder that we've been saved, set apart, but sent right back into this world with your message to be a part of the rescue party. And God, help us to not shrink back from that. Give us fresh boldness, fresh courage to do that right here. But Lord, as you call, those you call to be courageous enough to say, yes, I'll be obedient even to the ends of the earth with the gospel. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.